Well, today we are in the second week of our January series um, entitled, It's Not About Me. And I hope you were able to hear Barry's introductory sermon last week. Uh, His sermon focused on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and that particular passage is a really profoundly important passage in the Bible. And that passage tells us what the keys to living an it's-not-about-me life are, and those keys are that we're to consider others better than ourselves, we're not to think too highly of ourselves, and we're to be humble. And we, uh, as the leadership of grace, really believe that all followers of Jesus are supposed to live this it's-not-about-me life. Now, Barry did say last week that living that life is difficult, and primarily because most of us, me included, uh, our natural tendency is to make things all about me. And besides that being our natural tendency, most of what we hear in the culture around us emphasizes that we are entitled to have it our way. That's particularly true in the media and in advertising, and it's just what we hear. You deserve it. I deserve it. I'm even finding that at this stage of my life, which I would define as the latter third, is that okay, latter third? uh, uh, At this stage of my life, I'm subtly being pushed to think almost exclusively about who I want to be and what I want to do in these later years of my life. And to be honest, many of these messages aren't all that subtle. It's almost as if they're saying to me, these messages are saying to me that after years of raising children and putting in so many long, hard days, I've now earned the right to focus on myself. And I'll admit that looking at life through a lens that says, yes, it is all about me, can sound pretty sweet at times. In fact, uh, last week I was hoping Barry would add a bit of, of course, if you're over a certain age and you've put in your time, uh, you can just ignore most of this it's not about me stuff and focus on yourself. But he didn't. And the reason he didn't is because Philippians 2 doesn't tell us that being humble and not thinking too highly of ourselves is a stage of life value. No, it tells us that it is a follower of Jesus value. And so I have to admit right up at the front here that it's not about me is uh, all about me. Of course, if we're going to take a month to talk about it not being about me, then that begs the question, who then is it all about? And last week, Barry did a great job of showing us that Philippians 2 also tells us the answer to that question, and the answer is it's all about Jesus. Now, I know that that answer, it's all about Jesus, just sounds almost perfunctory when you're in a church. In fact, I remember as a kid, there was a joke that a little boy in Sunday school was shown a picture of a rabbit, and the Sunday school teacher said, what's this a picture of? And the kid said, I know it's a rabbit, but I'm a church, and, it's, and so he said, it's Jesus. Just because he didn't want to be wrong. And I, but that's, I don't want this to sound like it's a cliche when we say it's all about Jesus. Interestingly, Jesus himself said it was all about him. 
And we find him saying this in another very important passage, and that would be Matthew 11, verses 27 to 30. And I want you all to turn to that passage. It's on page 809 in the House Bible. And I want to take a moment while we're turning to that. Everybody needs to have the text before them. I want to take a moment to say hey to all online. I have received more messages this morning from grace attenders telling me that they watched the service online this morning than in my entire life as a pastor. And it's fine that you're at home. I know it's fine that you're at home. Uh, We love you and we're glad to have you with us. So if everybody has the passage, I want to pray for us before we get into this. So would you pray with me for just a moment? Father, we are grateful for your word to us. Pray that what I say today will honor you and that you will teach us um, your truth and give us a deeper picture of your heart as we look into your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me give you some context for what we're about to read. Earlier in this chapter, in chapter 11, Jesus had been talking about how hard it is to get people who have already made up their minds about things, particularly people who'd made their minds up about Jesus, how hard it is to get them to change their minds about anything. And he pointed out, he points out at the beginning of chapter 11 that there are a whole bunch of people who criticized John the Baptist because he had lived such a strict, even severe life. He'd lived out in the wilderness. He'd worn camel hair clothing and he'd eaten locusts and honey. And these people were saying, for heaven's sakes, this is too strict of a life. It's too over the top. And so they had criticized him for being that kind of a man, and yet the very same people who had criticized John were now criticizing Jesus because he wasn't living strictly enough for them. Jesus ate, and he drank, and he laughed, and he associated with all sorts of people, and so these same people who had made up their minds about how everybody should live were now calling Jesus a drunk and a glutton. They'd made up their minds about him, and they were sticking to it. And then Jesus went on to talk about how even in the face of his many amazing life-giving miracles, many people still didn't believe that Jesus had been sent by God. And they'd already made up their minds about what you're supposed to look like if you were somebody who was a prophet of God and been sent by God. And they'd come to the conclusion that all of these good things that Jesus was doing had come through the power of Satan. And Jesus was saying, there doesn't seem to be anything that I can do to get these people to change their minds. And in fact, you can feel Jesus shaking his head in these verses. It's no surprise that in what was clearly a moment of great frustration and disappointment, Jesus called out to God. And if you look at verse 25, you'll see what he prayed. He calls out to God and says, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. And you can feel Jesus' deep thanksgiving for those whose hearts weren't so hardened that they could see that Jesus was bringing them the truth and it was coming from God. 
And then he says this, and now we're getting to the question of the day, which is who is it all about? And here's what I picture. I picture Jesus, he's taking a deep breath. He stands there for a while in silence. And then he has a look on his face and says, okay, now we're going to get serious, folks. And he says this in verse 27. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. And no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And I have to stop right there and say that no one in the first century Israel, in first century Israel, would have ever referred to God as their Father. Not their personal Father in the way that Jesus unashamedly does here. They would have said, our Father. They would have said it some way that it includes all Jewish people. But they would never say, God is my Father. And Jesus didn't say that God is, just say he's my Father. If you notice, he said that I have a relationship with God that is, no one else has a relationship like we do. It's an exclusive relationship. I mean, what a claim. And look at what Jesus was claiming his father had done. He says, my father has entrusted everything to me. Now, the Greek word that's translated entrusted here in the house Bible, it's the word paradidomai in the Greek. And paradidomai is a much bigger word. It's a big word. It's much bigger than just entrusted. It has far more power than to simply say that something has been entrusted to you. It's a word that was used to say that something or someone was handed over to someone else. It has a sense of forcefulness to it. It's got purpose behind it. It's placing something or someone in the hands of someone else that is trustworthy. It's the same word that is used when Judas hands Jesus over to the temple guards. And it's a word that carried an underlying assumption that something or someone was resolutely giving another person something because that person could be trusted to take care of things. It was also used to say that some specific information had been passed on or taught to someone because they could be trusted with that knowledge. And I have seen this word paradidomai translated in all sorts of ways in this verse because translators struggle to get to the deepest core of what Jesus was saying when he is quoted as saying, my father paradidomied everything to me. Well, in my thinking, Jesus was saying something like this throughout the whole chapter. He says, I know that a lot of people are questioning whether I should be taken seriously. But here is the truth, folks. My father, who happens to be the God of the universe, by the way, before he sent me here to you, he passed on to me, he handed over to me, he taught to me and gave to me all things, 
as in everything, because he knew he could trust me with everything. Now think about that for a minute. Think about what Jesus was literally saying. He was claiming that God, God, let me remind you, had forcefully handed over the knowledge of and the responsibility of everything, everything to him. Now in my mind, there are only three ways that we can respond to a statement like that. We can either think, first off, we could think that, well, when Jesus said that, he's just crazy. He's out of his mind. Um, he's delusional. God hadn't really handed everything over to him. He wasn't lying. He believed it. But come on. Come on. Everything? Jesus is just out of touch with reality. Or Jesus could have just been making it up. He could be saying that he had this kind of connection to God and this kind of authority because he wanted to gain power over people's lives. He wanted to put them in a position where they knew they better do what he said. In other words, he, when he said, God has entrusted everything to me, he could just be lying. Or there's a third option, third option. Jesus could be telling the truth. He could be right on telling exactly the truth. And I have to say that what he says next in verse 28 doesn't sound like somebody who's crazy or lying. It sounds like somebody who knows exactly what he's saying and means it completely because it's all true. Look at what he says in verse 28. He says, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Notice how Jesus is putting the focus on himself here. This is really important for us to take in when the question is, who is it really about? Jesus, after telling us that he's been entrusted with everything, he then says he wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to him in the difficulties and the hardships and the weariness of life. He doesn't offer us words of wisdom. He doesn't suggest practical ways to find margin in our life. He doesn't recommend the books written by some other people that might lead us in a new direction. No, he just offers himself because what it's all about is him. And then he goes on in verse 29 to say this, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, Jesus was talking about a one-man yoke here, something that a person would put on their shoulders to carry a heavy load. It would make it easier for them to carry that heavy load. Now, sometimes you'll hear uh, people say, that when Jesus said this, he was talking about a two oxen yoke and that Jesus is on one side and you're on the other and you're going to work together. And can I just tell you they're wrong? We know exactly what kind of yoke this is and it's a single yoke. And to be honest, another thing that's interesting is that 95% of the people in the first century Jewish world did manual labor every day. And guess what they used to do that manual labor? 
they used yokes. And Jesus saying this would have probably made almost everyone in that crowd feel like they could relate exactly to what Jesus was talking about here. Plus, Jesus was from a carpenter's family. He knew about yokes. Now, he doesn't say he's going to take away the work. He even implies that the laborer that he will give us will need a yoke. There's going to be some heavy lifting if we work for Jesus. But if we take on his yoke, we'll find that he says that the yoke is an easy yoke. And there's, that's actually a phrase that means that it was made specifically for you that it was made to fit perfectly on your shoulders and that when you carry the weight, it won't overwhelm you. And then he adds, the burden you'll be called to carry is light. And I am 100% confident that those words resonated deeply with his listeners that day when they first heard him say that I'll give you a light burden. And I think those words can still resonate with us today, that that is what he is offering us. And then he said this, let me teach you. Now, we must keep in mind that the source of his teaching is everything that he was given by God. And what was he given by God? He was given everything. Can you imagine if your teacher said, and now I am going to start teaching you about everything, and they meant it. That's what Jesus is saying here. And then he added something powerful. He didn't stop it, let me teach you. He went on to tell us why it would be wise for us to listen to what he had to say. He says, because I am humble and gentle of heart, and what I'm about to tell you may freak some of you out. But it's once I realize the full impact of what I'm about to tell you, it has changed my Christian life, actually. And it's this. We think of the heart, when we hear the word my heart, we think of someone's heart as being the emotional center of that person. It's the place where we fall in love. It's what fills up when we have joy. And it's what breaks when something sad happens. But in the ancient world, the heart was not thought of as the center of our emotional world. When people say something about the heart, they are not talking about the emotional place in our being. No, they believed that all of that was in our guts, our intestines. That's where we fell in love. We fell in love down here. But guess what they thought the heart was? They believed that our hearts were the place of our practical, logical decisions. We came to conclusions that were based on logic from the heart. Now we believe that our logic and practicality is in our brains. Ancient people thought that our brains were just gay, gray, mushy stuff that didn't have anything to do with the rest of us. But they thought that all rational thought originated in our hearts. So when Jesus said that he is humble and gentle of heart, he isn't talking about his feelings towards us. This isn't an emotional statement at all. What he is saying is that I've thought it through. 
I have a deep understanding of the realities of your life. I want you to know that I'm not interested in lording it over you. And I know that you respond best to gentle things. So I have come to the wise, logical conclusion that what I need to ask of you practically and the way that I should act towards you in the world should only lead your life to rest. I don't think I'm putting words in Jesus' mouth here. And boy, does that encourage me. This passage tells me that Jesus is thinking clearly about you and me, that he knows our circumstances, and he knows what is best for us, and he's thought about it a lot, and he's come to some strong conclusions that what you need and what I need is what? Rest. And so we need to let him be all that it is about. Because when we do, he will take all that he's been given by his father and all that he's been taught by his father and he will use it wisely even if he calls us to difficult work on his behalf and in the process he will give our souls rest. And I just want to say the word that gives us soul in the Greek here is suke. When we think of our soul, we think of it this, as this ghost-like spiritually sort of thing that animates our being. They didn't think of it that way at all. They thought of the soul as everything about us. Everything about us, no matter what you want to talk about, body, mind, spirit, no matter, it's all the suke. He says he'll give us rest there. Jesus, the one who has been given everything, wants to make certain that everything about us finds rest. But it all starts with making it all about him. Now I'm convinced that the tendency of mankind broadly is to drift into our own wisdom and our own ways of thinking about things and believe that our own assumptions and plans and our intentions in life are wiser than God's. Actually, this tendency for just about everyone to go my own way or want it my own way is an overarching theme of the whole of Scripture. We see people not taking God up on his offer to teach them his ways everywhere in the Bible and always to a bad end. In fact, there was, this was such an issue, this not listening to God and not letting him be what it's all about. It was such an issue that the Jews had a song that was purposed to remind people about the importance of surrendering to God and taking him up on letting him lead them into a life filled with his rest. And I know why God wanted his people to have a song like this. For some reason, we were created... To, with the ability to remember song lyrics. I'm just saying, I know this is true for most people because I know that when I hear a song often enough, I can't seem to forget the lyrics of it. And it doesn't matter how long it's been since I've heard it. I am embarrassed to tell you, but if, I am in a, if I'm someplace and a song from 1965 by Herman and the Hermits comes on, I can sing right along with it. I remember all the, I see some heads nodding. It's uncanny, but it's true for just about everyone. 
And so God made certain that a specific song by David ended up in the Hebrew songbook and that it was sung often so that everyone would remember that it's not about me. I'm just going to read some of the words to the song. It's a song that we know is Psalm 25. And I'm going to read it out of the message because I think the version in the message gets to the heart of what God wants us to remember. And what he wants us to remember is that if we set aside thinking it's all about me and take Jesus up on his offer to teach us and lead us, we will end up with souls that are at rest. So here's some of the lyrics from that song. Psalm 25, show me how you work, God. School me in your ways. Take me by the hand and lead me down the path of truth. Forget that I sowed wild oats. I like that. Mark me with your sign of love. Plan only the best for me, God. God is fair and just. He corrects the misguided and sends them in the right direction. He gives the rejects his hands and leads them step by step. From now on, I want every road I travel to take me to God. And if I keep my eyes on God, I won't trip over my own feet. Now, I'm sure that you can see that if we sang a song with those words in it often enough, they would stay with us. We'd be reminded that if we keep our eyes on God, we weren't going to trip over our own two feet. And they would be a constant reminder of how it isn't about me. It's all about God and His Son, Jesus. You know, a long time ago, I went to postgraduate school in England. Um, I went to a theological college where I studied under some of the best minds of 20th century Christianity. That's just an honest statement. I was fortunate enough to be at Cape and Ray at that time. Cape and Ray is the name of the college. And when the time came for Jennifer and me and our children to return to the States, I had a plan. I knew what I wanted to do with my life now that I had this particular education. And what I planned to do was to be a preacher, not necessarily a pastor, but I wanted to be an itinerant preacher, someone who traveled from church to church, giving amazing, awe-inspiring messages without having to deal with the ins and outs of a local church. Now, that was my plan. And in retrospect, even though I thought I was planning to do what I thought was God's work, in all honesty, my plan was all about me. It was about swooping in and amazing everybody and having people think I was really important. Now, I don't want to go into the details of what happened over the next few months. Let's just say my plans and my intentions weren't what God had in store for me. Eventually, I ended up needing to find a way to support my family. And through some old connections, I found a job working in management for a large landscape company here in Indianapolis. And can I say that working there was about as far away from what my plans were as I could have imagined. What I soon learned that while I was tasked with managing a great deal of landscape work, more than that, my real job was managing 
dozens and dozens of landscape workers, and I'm talking about people from every possible kind of world and life that you could think of, and I mean every possible kind, and almost none of them had a clue that my world, my world of graduate-level theological training, even existed. But what was relevant to all of these people was how I treated them. If I took an interest in them. If I was fair and kind and spoke to them in ways that showed that I respected them. Respected them as people, no matter what circumstances their life might have been in at the time. What I had to consciously do was set aside my wisdom and my plans and my intentions and trust that God was up to something and that his map for my life was coming from his wisdom and his humble and gentle heart. And to be honest, it took work for me to change my thinking about that. But eventually what I realized was that yes, I was functioning as a landscape manager, but what I was becoming was a pastor someone that people trusted, trusted would, would be kind to them and honest with them, someone they could speak to about all of the intricacies of their aching souls. I know I've talked about this time in my life before, but for me, this time that I'm speaking of right now, that time is so relevant to what we're talking about this morning. God gave me the opportunity to let go of my it's all about me attitude and to let him teach me and begin to honestly live in an it's all about Jesus life and live that life with people who needed to hear about his humble and gentle heart. Can I say that the results of those years were completely unimaginable. My heart changed a great deal. My wife's heart changed a great deal. The tone of our family's life together changed as we opened the doors to these people into our homes and into our lives. We let in a whole slew of people who would never have once thought that they would want anything to do with people who called themselves followers of Jesus. Now I have no idea where my life would have ended up if I'd have been unwilling to abandon my it's all about me attitude back then. But one thing I know for certain, I would have never been a pastor here at Grace. I may have achieved what I thought I deserved. I may have been able to swoop into churches all over the world and let them know how brilliant I was and how important I was to the Christian world but I would have never found the rest for my soul that I have found doing the hard yet deeply meaningful work as your pastor. There's an old hymn. It's a song with words that I can't forget. And the reason I can't forget it is because growing up in the church, I had to sing it all the time as a boy. It's like Psalm 25 to me. It's a song with words that remind me that it isn't about me, it's about Jesus. Here are some of the words. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me 
from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the words of Christ dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. And may the love of Jesus fill me as the water fills the sea, him exalting, self-abasing. This is victory. Here's my prayer for you. To paraphrase Psalm 25 of, of David, my prayer is that you will step away from any hint of living in it's all about me life and allow God to show you the right path. That he will lead you by his truth and he will teach you and you will listen and he will continue to remind you that he is the God who saves you and that all day long, every day, you will put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus. That's my prayer for us. We pray for me, with me. Father, I thank you for this word from you. We thank you that Jesus said it's all about him in so many ways. Thank you that we can trust you with our lives because you are thinking about us in ways we cannot even imagine. I pray, Lord, that you will lead us into spaces where we can live out this wonderful message of your son's love for everyone, the saving love, and the power of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.